All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, 8020 Baseball community. Coach Bo with you here. Coaches, players, parents, youth, baseball community. Always good to be here. Coming out each week with a new episode. This week, we are going to dive into habit number five in our Seven Habits of Highly Effective Coaches series. Habit number five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. We're going to dive into that in just a minute. I am getting on a plane tomorrow, less than 24 hours from now. I'll be on a plane flying down to spring training. Fired up, pumped up, a couple other things that have me pumped up. Being here with all of you, the positive emails, the feedback, the success that I'm hearing from many of you listeners that are reaching out. Love it. Keep sending it my way. Also, World Baseball Classic. I saw a statistic that there was a 98% increase in first round attendance. So the first round of the WBC attendance was 98% higher than the last time it was held in 2017. That's awesome. That's great for baseball. The first round of the tournament had over 1 million attendees this year. That's awesome. Pumps me up. Shohei Otani. Wow. And I know this is a youth baseball podcast. Of course, that's our focus. But baseball is baseball, and it's fun to talk about those players that we can watch all together. I've said this before. If I'm talking about Johnny in the Little League near my house, you're not going to know who Johnny is. You won't relate to it. You don't know how tall he is or what his skill set is. You wouldn't have any idea, right? But we can all connect and relate to players that we see on TV and that we can see a plethora of videos of online. So do you like to talk about some of these players? We definitely separate youth baseball and what's important at the youth level from what's important at the major league level and the focus is different on a lot of things. It's similar in ways also, but it's definitely different. But that World Baseball Classic, what a fun event to watch. Just a fun thing. It's like the Olympics and the World Cup. I talked about the World Cup, the final game of the World Cup. One of the best games I've ever seen. One of the best sporting events I've ever seen. Argentina, Messi, France. That was awesome. A lot of you grew up when the Olympics were a much bigger thing. They were the thing growing up in the 90s and I remember the late 80s. 80s, mid-80s when they were in LA. Like many of you, I didn't miss any of those events. I'd watch everything. And the World Baseball Classic has that vibe, has that Olympic World Cup vibe. Shohei Otani, wow. I'll tell you what, he took a huge leap in my player rankings, massive leap. He went from number two to a tie with number one. The last episode I recorded was before that last game and something stood out to me. And here's what I wanted to talk about. Something that stood out about Shohei Otani that we can use as a coach and as, as players and players are listening to this. I know there are players that listen to this, parents, coaches. Shohei Otani as an angel never, or in his four years with angels, didn't seem to elevate the angels. Statistically speaking, before Shohei Otani got to the angels, the 10 years before he got there, that team averaged about 88 wins a game. Pretty good, 88. So they averaged 88 wins, the angels did, for the 10 years before he showed up. And then since he's been there, which hasn't been that long, but four years, they have averaged just 75 wins, well below 500, six games below 500 on average. And the thing to me was, as you all know, I'm a huge believer in having players that lift up the team, that lift up the team culture. Now the Angels have had very poor pitching, pretty good defense, decent offense, really bad pitching. And of course, pitching is so important. 80-20, we talk about the two major things, hitting and pitching, the huge needle movers, the vital core 
that brings in the majority of our results. So I'll give Shohei Otani that the team built around him and Mike Trout, not that great. Mike Trout's been hurt a little bit here and there in the last few years. But I wasn't sure if it was Shohei Otani as a teammate or Shohei Otani in the language barrier. I watch a lot of the Angels games, of course, being a SoCal guy. And I wasn't sure if it was Shohei and how he was with his teammates or was it the language barrier. And after watching the World Baseball Classic, there was no doubt in my mind it was all a language barrier with the Angels. Because when you see him with his team, when you see him with his team being his country, his fellow countrymen, with the language not being a barrier by any means, you could see how much he lifted his team how he elevated his team and of course he throws 100 miles an hour I get that but I'm not talking about that of course he can hit the ball 450 feet but what I'm talking about is how players lift up their team because I believe that players with bad attitudes low hustle selfish bad teammates can bring down their team more then the talent or a highly talented player can lift up the team and make them better. So Shohei impressed the heck out of me and did it finish with the ultimate storybook ending, him versus Mike Trout? Couldn't have been any better. It really couldn't have been any better. What a fun tournament. Now I have Shohei tied with Mookie Betts as my number one ranked player. So what I mean by that is if I were to draft and start a team and any player in the world or any of the players in the world were available, I flip a coin, Mookie Betts, Shohei, just flip a coin, whoever I get, I take. Now you go, so why not Judge, Aaron Judge, or why not Mike Trout? Well, Mike Trout, and I know this is not popular opinion. I'm going to say it. And my best friend, he's a diehard Angel fan, season ticket holder, likes Trout a ton. I'm not sold on Mike Trout as a player that lifts his teammates up. Of course, there's no doubting how great he is talent-wise. No doubt at all. But I'm not sold on him elevating his team to another level, a championship mindset. I don't know. I'm just not sold on that. Aaron Judge, I love Aaron Judge. I tell you what, I think he does lift his team up. I love his attitude, his personality. I really do. I just think I need to see a little bit more from him. Mookie Betts has been doing it quite a bit longer. Shohei Otani, he only has about three and a half years worth of hitting stats and a year and a half of pitching stats. So I think we need to just make sure that we do give it some time. It's consistency too. It's consistency. As a coach, you don't earn respect after one week. You earn respect by being consistent. And that's why if you're a quality coach, it gets so much easier after a certain point, say the first season or three months into the season, depending on the team and your players, or a second year when those players are coming back or a lot of them are coming back, you've shown them consistency. Somebody who respects them, somebody who stays even keel, somebody who praises them genuinely, consistently. When you show consistency with enforcing your expectations, your standards, your rules, when you stay calm and collected during games, when you don't put them on blast and you're consistent with that, that goes a long ways. And so that ties into, I want to see Otani a little bit longer before before I slot him in as that unanimous number one pick. Remember, it's not just how hard you throw and how far you hit it. There's a lot more to what makes a great player. Defensive versatility is a big one. Defensive versatility is a big one. Nobody is more defensively versatile than Mookie Betts. I don't think there's anybody that could be a gold glover at as many different positions faster than Mookie Betts. I love the kind of teammate he is, and he's shown it for almost eight years now, and he's won two World Series. Consistency. Now, before we dive in to habit number five, I have a quote of the week for you. Also, just a quick review. Last week, we discussed the habit number four of highly successful coaches think win-win and how it was much more than just typically two wins going on or two wins that took place, residual wins. Something hit me this last week and the last couple days as I was thinking about last week's episode. Somewhat connected, kind of branching off here, but I wanted to share this tip and it's a one sentence tip that can be very helpful. There's a 
famous business quote or very well-known business quote. Many of you have heard this, I'm sure. It's slow to hire, quick to fire. Be slow to hire, quick to fire. Now, I don't know if you should just can somebody after one mistake, but the message is that people need to show consistency and they need to show it over a matter of time. Just like we talked about with Shohei versus Mookie and some other players. What I was talking about with building trust and respect with your players, you have to show it over time. Same with that quote, be slow to hire, quick to fire. Have they shown consistency over time? I don't agree with the just can somebody after a mistake and things like that, but that's not really the idea of that quote. It's not that you would just fire somebody after making one mistake, but the real message there is be slow to hire and with rules, with coaching rules. Have your core rules. Have just your important core rules. They'd be very specific. They'd be clearly explained to your team and clearly understood by your team and be slow to add a rule or rules and fast to uphold them. Be slow to add, fast to uphold. Keep that in mind as you go out there with your rules, your standards, your expectations. Be slow to add and fast to uphold. Last week I talked about adding rules on the fly. You see something that you don't agree with. You see a kid sitting cross-legged in the outfield during a pitching change or whatnot, and you just throw out. I've seen this. I've seen this a half a dozen times in my coaching career where coaches will add a rule that's not already been specified, articulated, communicated, written out for the team, and they'll just add it on the fly. Hey, we don't do that. No more of that. And we need to be slow to add, sleep on it, be slow to add rules, and fast to uphold. So I wanted to share that message with you. I thought that was something that after thinking about last week's message and episode, it came to me, I go, you know, with rules, you got to have your core rules. And then from there, be slow to add, fast to uphold. We also had the Jim Valvano story. Just amazing. It'll bring a tear to your eyes. Hopefully you wouldn't subscribe to that Daily Dad email, Daily Dad. I got no affiliation with it, but just it's a good one. I wouldn't say every email I get is just like that email, the Jim Valvano email. That was easily one of the best, but it is a email that I recommend getting sent to your inbox. But if you haven't already, go back, listen to last week's episode. We broke down the Think Win Win, the Jim Valvano story. And I just wanted to add that. Be slow to add and fast to uphold new rules. And that was building off last week. Quote of the week, Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver. So for those few of you that don't remember or know Tom Seaver, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher, played a lot for the Mets, Cincinnati, and a little bit with some other teams in the 80s. Hall of Famer. He almost got 99% of the Hall of Fame vote. So he was literally a unanimous Hall of Famer on the first opportunity he could have been voted in that first year. He was born in Fresno. Got a lot of family in the Fresno area. Why should say wife's family in the Fresno area? He went to Fresno High School. He passed away a few years ago at the age of 75, and he had 311 wins and an ERA of 2.86. That's a pretty good combo. So he won over 300 games, and his ERA was 2.86 at 3,600 strikeouts. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. And for those of you that are into pitching mechanics, I don't think we should overcoach pitching mechanics. We should coach pitching mechanics at the youth level. We shouldn't just overcoach them or players be come rigid and it's a cookie cutter approach. But for those of you that are into pitching mechanics, the drop and drive, when people say drop and drive, it's a very common term. It's been around for a long time. Tom Seaver is that drop and drive poster child. He's the drop and drive poster child. So if you can look at video of him, and that's where they really sink on that back leg. They really sink on that back post leg. For him, it's his right leg. He sinks on it. And not to get into pitching mechanics too much, but this buys the pitcher time. It buys their throwing arm time to go through the arm path in the back and then sync up out in front with the front leg landing, posting up. 
and getting to that consistent release point. And you got to sink on that back leg and you'll see every pitcher will sink on that back leg because the mound is sloped. And if you want to keep dynamic balance, you have to sink on that back leg a little. Now, we're not going to get into that detail. I think some pitchers sink way too much. I think some pitchers don't sink early enough and some don't sink enough in general. So Tom Seaver said this. This is, I thought, a great quote that we can all use to help coach our pitchers. He said, quote, my job isn't to strike guys out. It's to get them out. Sometimes by striking them out, end quote. It's a good quote to share with a player or players, pitchers on your team that are trying to strike everybody out, trying to overthrow. Say, hey, this is a Hall of Famer. This was a Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers of all time. Maybe show some video of him throwing. Share the quote with him. Say, hey, this Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the winningest, most successful pitchers of all time, said, my job isn't to strike guys out. It's to get them out. Sometimes by striking them out. That's a good message to keep in mind for pitchers that are going out and trying to strike everybody out. They're overthrowing. So I've had two pitching quotes to share with you, two pitching quotes of the week. Next week, I'll have a third one and then we'll transition. We're doing this series of the seven habits of highly effective coaches. I also want to start sequencing and putting together a series, a three pack of quotes or a four pack, depending on how long the month is. And then that fourth or fifth week, again, depending on how long the month is and how it sits, how the weeks fall we'll do the top five coaching tweets of the month. So next week, I'll have a, another pitching quote of the week. And if there's a position that needs to have the best mental game, it has to be pitching, right? Hitting happens so fast that sometimes players can't overthink. They can't think too much. They can't think themselves out of a hit because it happens so fast. I'm not saying they can't because they surely can. And the mental game at the plate is big and defense is big. Base running, catching, et cetera, definitely important. But there's a lot of time out there as a pitcher to be thinking with that ball in your hand. So having these thoughts, having these quotes, having this paradigm can definitely help our pitchers. Filling their minds with these quotes from the pros of all pros at a minimum can help fill up their mind and take some of that storage space and utilize it for the positive rather than those negative, counterproductive, unproductive thoughts that are naturally going to seep in to players' minds. Habit number five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Let's get after this one right here. Deposits versus withdrawals. Deposit, seeking to understand is a deposit, and then to be understood is a withdrawal. When we talk about making deposits with our players, deposits, 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 and then withdrawals. Deposits are always less than withdrawals. I don't know why that is. It just is. I'm sure there's an explanation. Some of you probably know exactly why that is. There's probably a term for it in psychology or parenting. Deposits are always less than withdrawals and sometimes substantially less. And sometimes the withdrawal we make a withdrawal, it may be the one that bankrupts our account. It may be the final straw. There may be no coming back. It may mean bankruptcy with that player for good. So deposits versus withdrawals, seeking to understand, then to be understood. Why I'm sharing that is we have to seek to be understood a lot less than we seek to understand. And not just our players, our assistant coaches, as you'll hear about in just a second, the umpires, parents of the players you're working with if you're a coach. So show that you genuinely care, and then they will care, your players and everybody, assistant coaches, parents, show that you genuinely care, and then they will care to know what we have to say and teach them. We need to genuinely care, and then they will care to know what we have to teach them, to coach them up with. Now, there are ways to expedite this as we'll jump into it. And every player will need fewer deposits before their bank account's pretty high, depending on their background, family situation. So some players are already going to come in with this strong bank account 
it's already been filled up by other adults, their parents, it's already been filled up. They're doing pretty well, but you're going to get some fragile players for a lot of different reasons. And those players, we have to understand it's going to be a lot more of genuinely caring and depositing, genuinely depositing before they're going to really care what we have to teach them. Don't assume players are just there to listen. Don't assume they're just there to be coached up. Don't assume that they're just automatically default going to just say, yeah, hey coach, I'm here, all ears. It's part of building trust. It's building a strong bridge. I used to host some mini conferences with high school teachers and I would use this parallel. It's like building a bridge and some players connecting to them is like a little footbridge. It's like a bridge over a small, tiny little creek, literally seven steps, six steps, five steps, and you're across that bridge. Some players, they're like those bridges over in the Keys, in the Florida Keys that are miles long. Some players need us to build a bridge like the Golden Gate Bridge. Strong, takes a lot of time. The Golden Gate Bridge, approximately 1.7 miles long in length. There's a bridge in the Florida Keys. It's like seven miles. I think it's called Seven Mile Bridge. Some of y'all out there, I got my longtime listener, one of my original OG listeners, Cosimo out there. I know you're not down by the Keys, coach, but out in Florida, the Seven Mile Bridge. So some players have these metaphorical bridges that we need to build. They're probably not going to build it. We need to build it. We need to build it towards them. We need to build it by making deposits and withdrawals. How does this tie into habit number five? Seeking first to understand. When they feel understood, that is a huge deposit. Huge deposit. When they feel like you genuinely care to know about them and about where they're coming from and their position. And I'm not saying you got to agree with it. I'm not saying you got to cave in at all to any of it. What you need to know, or at least start with, is they need to feel understood. There's a really good parenting book. I'm drawing a blank on the name, but it's a very well-known bestseller. Probably if you type parenting books like on Amazon, it'll be one of the first five. I'm drawing a blank. I read it a few years ago. And at the end of it, I told my wife, I said, literally, there's one message in this book. It had a lot of different stuff going on, a lot of different chapters. But the one message was, make sure your kids feel heard. Make sure they feel heard. That doesn't mean they write the rules. That doesn't mean they call the shots. But they need to feel heard. And once they feel heard, then you can do your thing with them as a parent. Then you can implement your whatever it is, discipline, expectations. Some players need to feel that you fully understand them before they care to understand you. Some players less. They don't need you to fully understand them. And that kind of goes to the length of that bridge you have to build. Some, they don't need to feel like you fully understand them to buy in, that, that they perceive that you genuinely care and you have their best interests. Some don't need the perception that you fully understand them. Some do, some much less. They fall all along this spectrum. Just feel it out. Do some background digging. We'll get into that background check here in a minute. All right, moving to to another part of this habit. By understanding them first, we can better communicate our message in a way that resonates with them. It connects with them. If you have a player that is making the same mistake over and over, it would be great if we knew for example, who their favorite player was. So we could go possibly find video of that favorite player doing the specific skill correctly that we're trying to teach them, or at least a version of it that's better than what they're doing or a lot better than what they're doing. And we can tie it in. We can have them see their favorite player do what we want them to do. There's buy-in, they trust their player. Also, it shows that you care. It shows that you know who their favorite player is. When we seek to understand our players, we will find out a lot more that can help us as coaches coach our players much better and even a lot more efficiently. So by understanding our players, by seeking first to understand, we don't put our foot in our mouth. We don't bankrupt that connection. We don't bankrupt that account with that player. 
We don't sever any ties. We don't say the wrong thing. And again, that particular part of it doesn't apply to most kids, but a few kids, if you coach long enough, even if you coach a year or two, and also by understanding our players better, we can coach them more efficiently. That's huge in youth baseball. That is massive. I got an email just yesterday from a coach telling me that he has two one and a half hour practice slots a week. So efficiently connecting, that's huge. Efficiently coaching, huge, massive, 80-20 baseball. We can leverage kids' interest to better help the team, to help them and to help the team. Moving forward, ask each player what they liked least from their previous coaches. Give players a preseason questionnaire. I know this may sound a little out there for some of you because you didn't have this happen to you. You weren't exposed to this when you were playing. It's a little more rare to have a coach do this, but it's an automatic for me. Preseason questionnaire. I would ask each player what they liked least from their previous coaches. Specificity is key. You need them to be specific. This gives players time to think it over. Now, giving them a preseason questionnaire that you can give to their parents to give to them and then have them bring a couple days later, that's the ideal way to do this because it gives players time to think over the answer and take their time answering it. Use open-ended questions when possible. This is a different way to get to know your players, but extremely effective and very, very, very efficient. This is a very efficient way to dive in deep because the players are doing it on their own time. They can also give you quality answers and then you can read through it rather quickly without other players chiming in. You're not having this open forum. You're reading quietly. You can really connect with what they're saying. Huge fan of this process. Also, understand if they have any health needs and how you can make them feel more comfortable about their health needs. I don't think I ever had a coach. I don't think I once had a coach. Now, my dad coached me right up until I got type 1 diabetes. I got type 1 diabetes as my dad was finishing coaching me my eighth grade year. Then I went into high school and my dad didn't coach me after that. From the ninth grade on, and I played almost 11 years after ninth grade, from ninth grade on, four years of high school, four years of college, and parts of three years professionally, I never had a coach care to know about my type 1 diabetes, much less how they could have made it easier for me to play sports. Now, I'm explaining to you what I mean by that. By asking me about my diabetes and making sure that things were taken care of, it was more of a mental thing because my mindset is, if anybody who knows about type 1 diabetes, I've had type 1 diabetes since 1995, and type 1 diabetes diabetes never goes to sleep. It never rests. It's 24-7, 365, 366 every fourth year, always there. And it, blood sugars jump around. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Type 1 diabetes, even with insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitor systems and five-second blood glucose testers and insulin that's more acute, more fast-acting, it is still a super, super difficult disease to take care of. And I never had a coach ever once that I remember. And if they did, it would have, maybe they talked to my parents about it, but they never talked to me about it. Never, never asked me about my diabetes. You're talking about a disease that flat out affects the way you play if it's not taken care of. Now, that's crazy. They knew I had diabetes because my mom, when I was younger, made me tell them. And then I told them and they know you can't hide diabetes. You can't hide it. Not around a team that long. You can't hide it. There's too much management going on with it. There's too many things going on. And here I was playing for 11 years with that disease. Never did I have a coach ever ask me, hey, is there anything that you need? And here's the thing where it would help me. It's not that they would have been able to take care of it for me. It's not that they were responsible to manage it, but I was raised not to question authority. I was raised to do what the adult says. I was raised to say yes, sir, to the coaches. And you don't talk back to the coach. Coach says, do this, you do that. And so for me to go tell the coach, I needed to do something and call the shots because I needed to go get some sugar or I needed to go get some glucose or I needed to go take some insulin a shot or I needed to go check my blood sugar. That was hard. That was hard for a 15, 16, even for 
a player that was in college, especially when the coaches showed no interest in it at all, at all. They never wanted to understand. It could have at least eased my mindset as to knowing that I could just run over, grab that. And it would have allowed me to focus less on the diabetes and more on my game. And I, it's not the reason I didn't make the major leagues, but my point is coaches should have done that. And that's probably one of the most disappointing things that ever happened, if not the most disappointing thing in my career. And if you're a coach who says you care about your players and you're a transformational coach, you're a connection coach, not a transactional coach, you're not just using the player to win games, you would ask them about a disease that's about as serious as it gets especially one that affects how they play day in and day out. All right, get a little fired up there. Anybody out there with diabetes, you have any kids with diabetes, type 1, any players, email me. I'd love to chat, love to talk, maybe even host a little group about that. Type 1 diabetics, athletes, it's got a real soft spot in my heart, of course. All right, two more messages I want to share when it comes to this. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Habit number five, to being more successful coaches. A coach that has their players listening to them, fully buying into what they're saying with regard to the expectations, the mission, the rules, has a much easier job. It streamlines everything. But we must first start with showing that we care, and then it becomes easier and easier for everybody involved. Put the work in up front. Same thing goes for assistant coaches. So what we just talked about with players connecting with players, I know you don't do as much interaction with assistant coaches if you are a coach, but ask assistant coaches for their opinion. If you have an assistant coach, ask them for their opinion. Even a part-time assistant coach, even another parent that's just there kind of helping out, ask them for their thoughts. Ask them for their opinion on certain strategies, tactics, pregame items, practice items, etc. And this will do two things. It will give you a second or third opinion on whatever it is, which could help lead you and the team to doing it better. In other words, it could help you more accurately select the path to take the team down. And what I mean by path, like how you want to teach a skill or how you want to run a drill, how you want to allocate some pregame time. You never know. Just always good to get a second or third opinion. You don't have to use it. Although I wouldn't just discard it and discount it out of hand. If you're going to do that, don't ask for it. I definitely think this is something that can be very useful. Seeking to understand assistant coaches, where they're coming from. And you'd be surprised where you can find some nuggets of information, especially when it comes to working with players. Try to understand players through your assistant coaches, through the parents of the players. Nobody's going to know the kid better than the parents, right? So use that to expedite. Use them to expedite the process to be a better coach, to better understand those players, to understand your players. That's going to lead you to success faster. The team's going to have more success faster. Everybody's going to win, win, win. Winner, winner, Roscoe's fried chicken dinner. All right, all delicious food talk aside. Loyal coaching staff is a cohesive staff, and thus it won't be divided. And that dividing staff can lead to terrible outcomes of coaching staff. But parents and parents of the team being divided and talking is if they feel understood, if they feel heard... They will be less likely to go and talk to other parents, talk behind your back if they feel like they're being heard. I'm not saying it's going to eliminate all that, but if parents and assistant coaches feel like they're heard by you, if you're the head coach, if you're the manager, it's going to go a long ways towards helping. And it gives them an outlet. It gives those assistant coaches and definitely parents an outlet. So let them be understood. So I know we talk about seeking first to understand, then to be understood, players and the kids, but also for our peers, for assistant coaches, for the umpires. When you go out to the umpire, ask them first. Instead of demanding, seek to understand what they saw. And they might show you their hand. And once you see the umpire's hand, you may be able to leverage that and talk to the other umpire if there's a second umpire and say, hey, can we check that? Or they might say something that can help you from putting your foot in your mouth or maybe getting the umpire upset, costing your 
team a call later in the game. So seeking to understand, then to be understood. A lot of different things that we can do here. Also, when it comes to skills, pitching delivery, hitting, players doing something new or something different, ask them, why is that? Why are you doing that? What's the reasoning behind that? They may have a decent reason. Maybe not, but at least they'll feel heard. So then if you do try to adjust it, they know you've heard them out. They, they perceive your knowledge of the situation as balanced, having heard them. And so they feel like you've came to your decision with all the facts. This habit that leads coaches to success, people to success, sounds mild, doesn't sound glittery. It is massive. So go out there and try to understand first, ask questions first, and then, and only then, seek to be understood. There's one caveat, and that's a safety or bullying issue. Don't seek to understand if there's a bullying or a safety issue. Now, when I say that about bullying, blatant bullying, all right, blatant bullying, there's no seeking to understand. You got to drop the hammer quick on that and really send a message. A safety issue. A safety issue is pretty cut and dry. Something's dangerous. A situation's dangerous. Kids could get hit by a bat being swung in the wrong spot or in a place that shouldn't have been getting swung. Practice swings going on randomly around the field, an errant throw. There's no time to understand. You got to be understood and it's got to be fast, quick, and decisive and loud. So those are the two spots. You can't hesitate. You can't seek to be understood first. You got to get your message understood within a split second. Next week, habit number six. Also, I have two pregame tips. Two pregame tips coming at you next week. And I got a really good mental game of pitching, a pitching quote, a mental tip for pitchers. So two pregame tips, pitching quote of the week, and habit number six in our seven habits of highly effective coaches series. Go over to 8020 Baseball, get that drill design guide, follow on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball, 8020 underscore baseball. Support the podcast. A lot of nice reviews and ratings. Thank you so much. Those are always helpful to the podcast. A quick, easy way to support the podcast. Email me your success stories. Love getting emails. I'm getting a lot of emails, so I do my best to get back quickly. But email me your success stories. Bring me along on your coaching journey. I love being along on that coaching journey. And I have an interview that I'm excited about that will be coming out the episode after this series finishes. Excited. I have a strength and conditioning coach who's going to come on and share some really quality information focused on youth baseball in the category of strength and conditioning and mobility and physical fitness and physical health for youth athletes, specifically youth baseball players. So excited about that. The goal is to have that episode coming out to you the week after this seven-part series finishes. So about three weeks. Until next week, take care of yourselves, your families, your close friends. Hey, take care of your health. Take care of that health. Take care of your foundation so you can be a great coach, a great parent, a great friend. You can be great at your job, your business, and take this information out there. Put it into action. Take it out to the field. Until next week, this has been Coach Bo. Adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.